Hi, this is Kevin, and we're here to help. Welcome back to another episode of Here to Help. And probably if you're anything like me, you saw the length of this episode and you're like, there is no way I'm going to listen to that because holy cow, Kev. Um, I tried to edit it and I was going to break it up in a couple, three different episodes because of the length. But let me just give you this encouragement. This is a good episode. This is something that I've been looking forward to and had a good time recording it. And I think it'd be a big um, help to you and potentially give you some principles that you could apply to your life if you've been through any type of hurt. So I want to just encourage you, if you have to listen to this in sections, please do so. Um, this is the longest episode I've ever done. I think the longest I've ever done is like 45 minutes. But I want to just encourage you to listen to this. I got to get, had the privilege of getting together with my co-pastor, Michael, and we talked about father wounds. I know that he had a significant father wound, and so we talked about that, and the result, I think, is going to be a blessing to you. So please encur- let me encourage you to just sit down, relax, listen to it as you can in, in sections if you need to, but I know this will be a help to you. So please sit down, relax, and I repeated that over again, and I don't know why I do that, maybe just because I'm a mess and I needed to listen to this episode, but uh, please listen as we talk about father wounds. Well, today we have the wonderful privilege of, I've had him on be here before, I have my dear friend and co-pastor, Michael, and today we want I want to talk about father wounds. Um, we're going to get into what started, what planted the seed for this um, thought. We're going to get down to that about halfway through the talk. I have that snuggled into my notes here in a minute. But one thing that intrigued me, which started this, is um, the, the, how deep of a wound a parental, a mother or father wound is. And so I want to start by introducing Michael. Michael, I've known for seven, eight years, seven, oh, eight, seven years. Seven years. Um, just started going to the church. Um, just to help, and then eventually just kind of said, hey, just letting you know that you're now the co-pastor of the church, and I was like, um, do what? And so um, we've been serving together at our church in Topsom, and uh, been a blast. We've learned a lot. We've grown a lot. We've both been through our own personal times of hell and, and struggles, and we've helped each other through it, and so it's been, it's very been a very wonderful, exciting last seven years being able to serve with him and get to know him and love him and his family and uh, serve our church together. So it's been fun. But Mike... It's been enjoyable watching you turn gray over the years. I know. I was I was this young child when you first met me, and now I'm old and gray and wrinkled. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you have done what a lot of folks haven't done, is you have leaned into fitness and health as you've aged a little bit. Yes. And you're actually in much better shape than you were when you came. I am. I am. And I've much better trained. Yes. Um, what Kevin won't brag about on his podcast, you know, the Bible says, let another man praise you and not your own lips, is Kevin uh, recently was, unless if you've mentioned this, I haven't listened to your most recent episode yet. No, 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 no. You were recently in the shark tank. Yes, I was in which the shark I tank. Which I ironically called the snake cage. when Snake I, cage. I was like, what are you doing, this mate cage? Uh, in which you were subjected to various physical trials yes. in order to uh, achieve, technically achieve, yes. your blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yes, I was attacked 12 times without a break. Um, where if... I saw a picture of you <laughs> being completely dominated. Completely dominated. It was toward the end, you and you looked tired. I was and, so exhausted. Yeah, yeah. There's a, but you made it long. You did it. You didn't just make it long enough. You you uh, you survived and you thrived in the trials. I did not thrive. <laughs> uh, we uh, Micah posted this a little video clip of a little um, conglomeration. Yeah, that's whatever, what I saw. Yeah, of um, of the, the the day and. My second to last role was with our instructor, Tim, and 
I'm so fatigued. I can barely breathe. I'm dying. <laughs> and um, and so halfway through the round, he, someone said something about, you know, we got like a minute left. And I'm like, yeah, you, I think you've, I've been tapping out like every, you know, 28 seconds. And he's laughed. He goes, and he was literally grinning. He goes, I'm just taking advantage of your fatigue. Yeah. And there's a picture of me laying. I was in his guard. I was up against his chest trying to just not die, yeah. you know, and he's just grinning from ear to ear. I'm like, yeah. that's the most humbling thing, you know. It's great. A guy just a few years older than me just literally kicking my butt. It was great. Um, but all that to say, it has been wonderful to serve with you these last seven years. It's yes. been great, man. Yes. You know that I can successfully get my rear end handed to me and come out with just a few bruises and bones broken. And But the benefit is that that goes uh, down the chain, too, because I know that I would be swiftly and summarily defeated by you were I to try. And uh, so while you may... That's only because I would cheat because I'm old. (laughs) Old people cheat. (laughs) No, you would throw me down, man. Throw me down. Um, So, introduction. Um, Your father... Yes. um, ...was in the ministry, pastor, missionary. Y'all went to Zambia Mm -hmm. and... While on the mission field, your father passed away. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to get into that. We're not going to bring up a lot of the things for for sake of it just doesn't help. But I would like to. Your dad had... Okay, let's start with this. Um, how old were you when your dad passed away? It was uh, about a week before my 12th birthday. So I was right about 12. And outside of your dad's passing, he had also some frailties, mm-hmm. um, yeah. some humanity and some yeah. struggles. Yeah. And so your father wound is a little bit more than just his dying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And... Well, he was saved out of a lot. Right. right. He was He was saved. Uh, he, was, he was 20 when he was became a Christian and uh, came out of a... a a really hard life, hard background, had a hard father himself, and uh, the transformation over the next 20 years, which would be the last 20 years of his life, was was remarkable and wonderful. And were he to have another 20 years, um, you know, I, I believe that, um, <clears throat> you know, there wouldn't be any traces whatsoever of any of his past, you know, but as, as it is with these things, a lot of times we do still struggle and wrestle with some of the, with some of the things that uh, once uh, were a major part of our life, but, but the Lord definitely used him greatly. And, uh, but yeah, frailties, weaknesses that we all have in, in different ways. Yeah. So you and your two brothers, mm-hmm. uh, mom, now widow, you guys are fatherless, have to abandon the mission field, come off the mission field. Mm-hmm. Um, then your mother eventually raising you on her own, then eventually found Barry. How many years between your dad's passing and she her finding Barry? Just so interestingly, my father passed away October twenty fifth, and my mother was remarried October 9th. So wow. just under a year. <clears throat> she met, courted, engaged, and married. And and you know, my mom's in her late thirties at this point and yeah. it's a little different that time around. Um, you know, it's not, it wasn't in what we kind of very briefly went over before the podcast, but there was, uh, another missionary on the field who's a longtime friend of my dad's. And when my dad passed away, the idea that our mission board said, you can go back as missionaries, mom, three kids, this other missionary family literally lived next door to us. We, we did everything together over there. Um, in fact, this guy was a co-pastor with my dad back in New York when my dad pastored in New York. The idea was that he would just sponsor us back in. Yeah. He was so close to our family, we called him our uncle. And, uh, and frankly, the idea was he would be a father figure to us. Um, so we went home on furlough, expecting fully to be able to go back. And uh, for whatever reason, I don't know the intentions. I don't know. I'm not calling it right or wrong necessarily. But uh, he decided not to sponsor us back in. So we were disallowed from going back to Zambia. And so that felt like a bit of a betrayal from, from someone who was a father figure. And right. it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Because my mom later came up with a relapse of malaria. And the doctor said, if you were to go back to Zambia, you would die. So it ended up, you know, whether he meant it for good or evil, regardless, God meant right. it for good. And, but anyway, so there's my dad passing away. And then 
my uncle, for sake of privacy, we'll call him Uncle John, right? My Uncle John, um, from our perspective, saying, kind of pulling out the rug from under us, saying, hey, actually, actually I'm not going to let you guys back in after all. And so, you know, there was just some challenges there. So, we'll Follow up on that. Did you guys ever reconcile with Uncle John? No. He, uh, he passed away before, before we, we could. And, uh, I never had, I never had a hard feeling. I really didn't truly. I, I, if I, if I had any, I would tell you, um, I really never did more just confusion. I just, actually, I was always wanted to just reach out and be like, Hey man, everything cool. Like, you know, right. Uh, like I'm almost 40 now, you know, like, like what, what happened? Like, I don't know. Is everything do you? And again, here's, here, this kind of bleeds into our topic is there's this, almost like do you approve of me are you okay with me like did i do anything wrong and that that yearning for approval from the father figure um i don't know it's, it's just a really interesting uh, dynamic there i don't want to delve too deeply into it at this point but anyhow yeah so that was that was that uh open to reconciliation but it never really seemed to to happen and i ran into one of his kids though uh this winter and everything was hunky-dory and and she was very sweet happily married and and uh but if uh, if uh, if i'm being totally transparent there's still definitely a uh, I don't know, not a tension, but just a weird a haze yeah. of like, it's it just there. It's in the air, right? And it's not, I don't know. But anyways, uh, I've always been okay with it, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it was just like father's gone, potential father figure gone, and then it was just like, you know, you're just left hanging. And uh, But yeah, anyway, so back to your original question, it was a year. It was just under a year before my mom was remarried. So how did, and Barry's a wonderful fella. I love him dearly. Mm-hmm. And your mom, of course, your mom and my wife have become bosom buddies yeah. since Chris's passing because yeah. she's been down that road. Um, how well did, from your perspective as a kid, how well did Barry, did he try and force becoming a father figure or was it more natural? How well did he do it at, at consuming or, or assuming that role? So there's consuming? interesting. Anyway, sorry. No, yeah, no, there's interesting dynamics there too as this wasn't Barry's first marriage either. His late wife had passed away and he had already raised one child who was in college by the time we came into the picture. And, uh, my oldest brother was, Oh, he had to be 15. And so I was 12. Um, anyhow. Um, and so he, he had already raised one child. And, um, I think both in his opinion and objectively one would be able to say that, that his child did not, um, follow in footsteps of faith. And so maybe there were, maybe, this is conjecture, right? right. My father has um, late-stage Alzheimer's now. My stepfather, I call him my father, right? <laughs> but he has late-stage Alzheimer's now, so there's um, no way to loop him into this, though I am kind of curious at this point. Um, if maybe there were some feelings of uh, insufficiency or trepidation about raising children again, um, but I certainly wouldn't have guessed it because he was always available to us. Um, and he was always, but he was very, he, he was busy. He left very, very early in the morning to drive an hour away to go teach at school. And sometimes he would get home four or five at night and then he'd have to grade papers. He was a busy man. But right. despite the fact that we didn't have a whole lot of, you know, go catch football together, son, you know, anything like that. Um, anything I ever needed, I could go up to him and say, Hey, can I have a moment of your time? It would have been mine. Yeah. I, I know that. And I think this bleeds a little bit more into my experience with my dad. Um, I never had a, not once, no, I can't say I did have two days before he died. I did have a brief conversation with my dad, but I don't remember actually talking with my dad, like never having an actual conversation. There was correction and there was the, I love you before we went to bed, but never just sitting and talking. I never had that. Um, and it just wasn't our relationship with our parents growing up. Now with my mom, it's entirely different. We talk all the time, but I, I didn't, I didn't have that relationship. So with a stepdad, I didn't have a model of what a father-son relationship looks like. And so I didn't necessarily pursue that kind of reciprocative relationship with my stepdad, Barry, uh, because I didn't know what one would look like. And he, probably not wanting to force his way into being dad, maybe didn't, you know, didn't aggress too much on that front. Um, And I I don't think he did. I don't think he played a, a wrong card. I think he was, I think he was erring on the side of caution, if anything, and I think he did a wonderful job. But you, you see those dynamics at play. So while you were yeah. thinkful, thinking that maybe he was a little aloof and standoffish because he didn't want to force himself, sure. did you, do you think just by nature, 
because of your dad's personality, your dad's frailties, and your dad's struggles, and your relationship that you had with your biological dad. Mm -hmm. Do you think you brought a lot of that into your relationship with Barry? I think so. How, how did you, um, and and do you and your brother talk about that at all? I mean, your yeah. struggles. Does that ever come up? I don't think so. I don't think so. I I think. I think if there was any lack, in fact, of this, I'm quite sure, if there was any lack of a relationship I had with my stepdad, it was not on him necessarily in terms of him not wanting one. Uh, it was more or less on us. And you got to remember, I mean, I was the youngest one in the family and I was just about to turn 13. So you've got three teenagers in the, I'm going to my room to do my homework and play video games, you know, leave me alone kind of thing, stage of life. Right. Um, so there's, there's, without laying that groundwork of having a relationship, you know, with my stepdad when we were children, it it was hard to start one then. But he was, he was, and it's still the most wonderful man I've ever known, you know. And uh, and so while we didn't have a deep friendship that I would have liked, uh, in retrospect, it's not on him, right? right? And kind of, and again, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I think that's because. I didn't know that kids could have relationships with their dad. You know what I mean? In my mind, a relationship with your dad looked like you give each other a hug and kiss goodnight at the end of the day, and he gives correction when needed. And I didn't know what are the doors I could walk through in terms of a relationship with a father. You know. What do you think your biggest wound was from? What do you, or sorry, what do you think the biggest effect or fruit? from your your dad's passing, your dad's struggles? The biggest fruit. Um, the biggest. With a positive connotation or just effect well, in general? Well, either, okay. positive or negative, or with both. My dad's, or... With my dad's, pa my biological <clears throat> dad's passing. Yeah. Um, okay, how about this one? Let's reword it this way. Okay. What do you think was the hardest part? What do you think the, the biggest thing that you found affected in your life because of your your the wound that you had from your dad's passing and his frailties? I... I couldn't think of any that would have materialized or been realized in my youth or even young adulthood. But now that I am, like I say, getting closer to 40, now I see how having a present but absent father, biological father, um, and again, to, to some small extent, you know, even my, my stepdad, just because of the busyness of life and our lack of pursuing a relationship, right? right? Because we didn't, we didn't know any better, didn't know how. Um, that, that did predicate a, a bit of a rift in my understanding of fatherhood in general, right? Um, looking at other fathers, thinking about myself as a father, thinking about God as a father, just having a completely convoluted misunderstanding of what fatherhood was like. And so... Um, I suppose I say when he when he passed, um, it was interesting because, like I say, at the very, there was no way I could have realized any negative effects early because my my oldest brother Tim, who's now my my late brother Tim, um, we'll uh, we'll chat about that in a second, I, I reckon. But my my he he and I weren't very close, but Nate and I, my the, the middle of the three of us, Nate and I, we were very close, and Nate and I, we were. To be very transparent with you, we were, some might call it a grieving process. I I don't know that it was, but we were relatively okay the, the day that he passed away. It was sad. I wept at his funeral bitterly. I'd miss my dad, but we didn't have a relationship. Yep. Um, not one that anybody would look at and say, you know, these two are friends. Or these two, we, we just didn't. You know, he was my dad. I loved him. You know, I would do anything to see him again, to smell his brute aftershave that he wore, or English leather and brute, yeah, um, to feel the stubble of his beard when we did hug and kiss goodnight. Um, I just, I would, I would love to get the opportunity to learn about the man that he was because, to be very transparent, I know that I didn't see the, the best side of him. You know, I know that. Uh, my mom tells me all the time, I wish you guys could know the dad that, that I knew, right? You know, and things like that. I, and as I understand it, he was a truly wonderful man in so many ways. And I and I did see that. He was very dedicated to the ministry, a great man of faith. But anyways, I digress. Um, when he passed away, at first, it was, it was, there was no real rift in terms of, um, I just felt bad for my mom, you know, because I, she would, she would, she cried every night, 
every night. Um, she would she would just go into her room and I, I, it's not that we pretended we didn't know what was going on, but we didn't know what to do. But Nate right. and I, we knew when she went into her room um, in the evening, she would just cry for hours. And we'd be in the living room playing Zelda or right. eating our bagels or whatever. And she just, she, uh, maybe too much, but she hid it from us. And, uh, but she, I say this all the time, my wife, my wife, <laughs> my, my mom, that's not Freudian, I promise. My mom is the strongest woman I ever met. Today, to this day, she's the strongest woman I know. And I am, I am. Well, cause you both went through not just your dad, but also Tim. Yep. Yep. And now she's struggling with, with Barry's dementia. You know, so she lost a husband and then a son. And now she is, she is taking care of while losing her second husband. And uh, Barry and my mom have been married now for longer than my biological dad and my mom, where they were. My biological mom and dad were married for 17 years. And uh, let's see. Yes, it's been, oh, wow. I think it's 25 this year. Cool. Yeah, this October. I'll have to remember that. 25 this year uh, for, for my stepdad and my mom. But, yeah, so, you know, Tim passing and then, yeah. So so in terms of, in terms of what effects did it have, nothing immediate, but, um, and now, if you wanted to go down this road, one could say that supernaturally, right, in terms of providence, things that I don't even pretend to understand, right? Um, I know I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for him passing away, right. my mom meeting Barry, settling in New York, going to Bible college. My life would be radically different. Right. I have no idea where I'd be. I, I, for all I know, I might not even be in the faith. I have no idea. You right. Know? Um, I like my life. So I, all I can say is God meant it for good, and, and he took all the events and used them to, to weave weave them into the tapestry that is my life now. So let's swing back around to your dad's, you know, disconnected aloofness. Let's just put it that way. My stepdad or biological? Biological. Biological dad, yeah. Um, so if we were to swing back to that, now that you're a dad, you have four children mm. all within, you know, like three months of each other. Um <laughs> Holy crap! You know, year and a half a party. I know. It's like holy cow, dude. Um, yeah. And um, so, do you think because of your dad's struggles to be a deeply connected, emotionally connected to his kids' father, hmm. do you find yourself overcompensating with your kids? Maybe, maybe. If anything, it's it's. Uh, I I feel like I'm the opposite of him. Right. Um, not in a, not in a bad way, you know, not in a bad way. But in, in terms of having a relationship with my children, I think I'm the best friend my children have. In fact, of, of that, I'm very certain. Um, I, uh, There's no, you know, self-patting back on that. Oh, no, no, I am I, their, I am their I best am. friend. There's no question. Their mother stinks. I am their well, best friend. And, and you know, I, I will say that's created in a very, uh, I'm using the word dynamic a lot, so I should probably try to find a new, uh, uh, an interesting paradigm in our home. Oh, boy. Where... Amber, and we've talked about this. We talked, and when I say talked, I don't mean, you know, throwing lamps. I mean, actually talked about, yeah. about this, about like, you know, me pursuing that relational side. Maybe, and I know in the past, and I hope not in the present, but I know it's sometimes come at the expense of um, consistency and discipline, things like that. I reject wholeheartedly the idea that parents cannot be friends through their children. I think that's garbage. Uh, Abraham and God were friends. Um, God is the friend of sinners, right? So if God can be a friend to people, then certainly parents can be friends to children. However, there's a balance. Right. <laughs> put in a plug for my podcast here, Equipoise, right? There is an Equipoise. I will put I will put in, Aww, in the notes. We oh will talk God, about that. so nice. Yeah, yeah I am. Um, but there is a balance, and that friendship, must not come at the expense of the authority discipline authority that's a great that's a great way to put it so anyways there's that right so that has definitely come to a balance here in the last year or two i know that's a short amount of time to be able to say oh yeah we've gotten that straightened out it's only been a year or two but if the last year or two is any indication it's definitely it's definitely moving in a direction where i'm understanding that balance between friendship and authority just in time to begin transitioning with some of my older ones into that Teenage years. Teenage years where the friendship and authority looks like a slightly different mix, a different right. ratio, right? Um, but but I but I I am I definitely have a relationship, a, a heartfelt, true relationship of love with my children. 
Do you find yourself, um, when you look at, you know, the familial troubles that are passed down, because you said your grandpa was struggled, and then yeah, your dad, dad died, yeah. do you find yourself searching and making sure, being very um, attentive that you don't repeat those same struggles? Do you do you look at your dad's struggles and then hear the story of your, your grandfather and like, I'm not going to go down that same road. Do you? Is that a constant fear for you? Because I know I have that. And I think that's when we're trying to seek the Lord, trying to do right, that we do look at the past generations. Mm-hmm. And we look back and say, I don't want to carry on that familial trait. Yeah. Um, do you find yourself doing that sometimes? For me, in terms of the relational aspect, I don't, I'm not afraid of that at all. I'm afraid of going too far in the opposite direction, kind of like what we just talked about, right? But there there is a very real sense in which I experience a a fear of some of the traits that are not necessarily related to a relationship, but uh, my dad had a temper. Yeah. I, I do not have a temper now, but in the first years of my marriage, I would raise my voice, my wife, um, even my oldest son, not scream, not, you know, but just raise my voice. But then it occurred to me, thankfully, that a, the father is like the lion of the home, and when a lion roars, it's it's usually to warn of danger, right? Or at enemies, right? It's it, not uh, just to be a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to raise my voice. I'm not going to say mean things. Now, now I'm now I'm about as gentle as a as, as one could imagine. A, a man is perhaps some would say too much. I don't know, but um, I still deal with sin. I still deal with disobedience, but I don't do it like an angry man. And uh, now that's not to paint my my father with a bad brush, but he was one who, you know, would, uh, you know, he was raised in a home, his father, right? Kind of yelling and, and, you know, your very, very simple, truncated disciplinary approach. Raise voice, yell, address issue, um, never calling names. A lot of people had it way worse than I did, right? So never calling names or, or being mean to be mean, but just, you know, hey, Overly rough. Um, you know, right. Just very abrupt. Very, this is the way it is. And uh, again, like I say, with my dad, we never really had a conversation. There was a correction and there was a good night hug and kiss, right? Um, and so the correction was there. Uh, and I know for a fact my dad loved me. I know, I, and I not. I don't just say that to justify anything or to, you know, some sort of self-conceived platitude. I know he loved me very much from the bottom of his heart. Um, I do think there were some issues expressing it for him, you know, just because of the way he was raised. But I absolutely know that he loved us so, so much. Um, so in terms of me saying, oh, man, I don't want to be like him, uh, there are some aspects of that um, in terms of I don't want to be, um, yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, it's specificity here. Like you mentioned, we don't want to go too much into the specifics, right? But but where he had some struggles, I do, I am mindful that, you know, if I say, okay, I don't want to become addicted to this, right? Uh, somebody might call it an addictive personality or an addictive gene. I want to be careful with that. I want to guard my morality. I want to guard, you know, my mouth. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But in terms of the relationship part, I don't. I don't fear that aspect. Um, if anything, I fear the opposite. Well, I know. I know like in, because I know there were some addiction issues with my um So that's one thing I really guard against. Um, the only reason I asked that question about, you know, fearing about carrying it on, I He was raised down in Arkansas during the Great Depression and where they farmed for their food. His father was horribly abusive. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to get into stories, but horribly mm. abusive. Mm. You know, for years and years and years and years, just a big, mean, gruff. He was a brawler, you know, during... years into marriage. Um, but that's one thing he told me one time was he was so afraid that in raising my mom and my aunt that he would be abusive. Now, mm-hmm. he was a rough disciplinarian, mm-hmm. 
But as far as hands-on, he would give spankings every now and then. He said, but I was so afraid yeah. I would overdo it. Yeah. And he said one time when my mom was an older teenager and she was just being a turkey. Yeah. And uh, if you know my mom, you'll understand. <laughs> and uh, she'd just be a turkey. And uh, he said it was the last time he spanked her. And he said, he said, I did it out of anger. Mm. And he said that scared me so mm -hmm. badly. Mm -hmm. Did my mom deserve a whooping? Yes, she sure. she will admit with her own mouth that she deserved that spanking. Yeah. Um, but I remember just seeing the the anguish in his eyes when mm -hmm. he told that story. That, mm -hmm. um, and so that makes me think of that familial trait of yep. holy cow, I've got to guard against that. Um, it's so interesting you mentioned that because I I have my own anguished story. I didn't I didn't lay a hand on on my youngest daughter, but I remember when she was just barely out of being a baby so we're talking two or three right two or three <clears throat> we were at a rest stop we were traveling somewhere and she was afraid to use the public toilets because they had automatic flushers you know they scare kids and so she didn't want to get out of her car seat and i'm thinking i'm not stopping this van again so you got to get out of your car seat you got to use the bathroom right very reasonable you know yeah <clears throat> but um i i wasn't calm i i raised my voice and i was so frustrated and um, I think that was, I think that that broke me because I thought I just yelled at my precious little girl. I mean, just yelled. And um, I have wept thinking about that. I've wept. And I'm, you know, I can't think about it too much right now, right? And somebody said, give yourself a break, dude. You didn't lay a finger on her. I recognize that. And she doesn't remember. I've apologized to her a bunch of times. She's like, Dad, I don't remember. <laughs> so Stop apologizing. I, know, I try not to dress Like when up. you confess a sin to God <laughs> yes, 17 times. Yes, and it's like I'm just doing more damage talking about it, right? I don't bring it up to her anymore, of course. But um, but I, I had that moment, and um, and my precious— and, and she, and here's the worst part, of the four children, one might rightly argue that she is just the most uh, uh, tenderhearted and— uh, um, oh man, it just, it wrecks me to think, but there it is, right? My dad would get right. us. And, um, so it's really interesting, um, that, and, and I think that was when I said, you know, this is, this is not going to happen. This isn't. And, uh, I don't know if I made the decision then, but the more I reflected on that, I thought, geez, that's, a, that's what a monster does. That's what a demon does. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what a villain does. And that's not what a human does, let alone a Christian. And I'm going to be the opposite of that. So it wasn't by pulling myself up on my bootstraps, but it was by facing the reality that either I'm going to be a follower of Jesus or I'm not. And a follower of Jesus doesn't act that way. Uh, anyways, so, yeah. So let's circle around, because I do want to end on a spiritual note. Um, I want to circle around to Tim. Yeah. You know, ended his life, had, had some struggles, um, which we've talked about before, and mm -hmm. we don't need to bring those up, but he ended sure. his life. Um. And he was the oldest, so he yep. probably experienced more of your dad, and probably the wound was probably deeper. Mm -hmm. um, just speculation, one thousand percent, thousands percent speculation. Do you think maybe that the wounding of your father, either his passing or his behavior, you think that might have had part of the problem that the, the struggles that Tim had? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, one one other aspect of this that plays in. Um, you had my, my grandfather who passed away. Um, let's see. Let's, I, I'm, I think it was, I think it was uh, after my dad passed away. And so we didn't have him, right? Not that we would have really looked up to him. He, he, was, right. he was an unbeliever, and we, you know, especially in our, you know, more, more fundamental days, you know, unbeliever, well, you know, don't look up to them, right? Um, in any way, right? But... My dad, my, my mom's dad. So you have, my dad passed away. We were separated from Uncle John. Um, the, uh, we, we really didn't have any father figure, but when we moved back to the United States, we moved across the street from my mom's dad, Pop Pop. Yeah. And he is the wisest, smartest individual I've ever had the privilege of knowing. He's literally a genius. He was a member of Mensa the whole night. <clears throat> he was also a pastor. He's done one, any vocation you name, he did it. Yeah. Long story shorter. Um, we were all very close with Pop-Pop, but uh, Tim was closest to him. Well, Pop-Pop died. And when Pop-Pop died, there goes another father figure. So, uh, <laughs> so having that father wound and then my Pop-Pop, 
you know, my, my mom's dad, when he passed away, that was actually what um, predicated Tim's, you know, uh, loss of direction. Yeah. Was when my, my, you know, and again, it's not that he, not that that started this spiral of destruction. There were already things happening, right? right. But that, I think that Pop-Pop could have stood in the gap and, and, and been a father. But just, but it, obviously, I think I've outlined a pattern here of father figure after father figure after father figure dying or failing in some way. Um, and again, with Barry, truly wonderful man, um, but he was never the father figure to Tim that Pop-Pop was my yeah. my mom's dad anyways i know i just kind of brought him into the equation but all of that to say there's just this plethora of just father wound after father wound after right. father wound and um you're right because he was older he had more of a relationship with my biological dad he had more of a relationship with my pop-up and so the wound was deeper for someone like him than it was for me and i think that that precipitated some of the darkness right into his life um yeah, that would that eventually overtook him. Where right? it eventually overtook him, and I know that um, he did wrestle with some of the same things that my dad, my biological dad, wrestled with as a father as well. And I think that I think that killed him when he looked in the mirror. Uh, if I could be so frank, to see some of the same traits, just like it does me sometimes, right? When yeah. I look in the mirror and say, "Oh my goodness," the way I lost my temper, I reminded myself of, of my biological dad, um, and that sort of thing, right? And uh, so I think that 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 wound did. Have a, a ma- played a massive role in in some of his and uh, yeah in in the way he went. Yep. Let's kind of take a put a spiritual spin on you. Sure, um, sure. And this Maybe. one I'm shooting from the cuff is not in the notes that it the, oh boy because I want you to I want I want you to react from your heart on this one. Yeah. I heard a statement um, a few years ago that of all the big-named atheists and agnostics in the world, yeah. that all of them had huge father wounds. Yeah. Um, whether they died, you know, or they're horrible people, or they... It, and I haven't really dug into too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you think your father wound affects your relationship of our Heavenly Father? Oh, I'm so glad. I really am so glad you asked that because I think that because I think that's where the edification of this talk can go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because really, ultimately, um, the ultimate father figure we have is our heavenly Father, oh, yeah, and our big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you think that? Oh man, let's spin that. And if if we we can talk another thirty minutes, I don't care. I'll split this up into two episodes. I don't right. give a crap. Um, oh, I said crap <laughs> oh, on my episode. Oh, and uh, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Sigmund Freud, mm-hmm. he once said that um, religion is the wishful projection of weak people looking for their lost father figure. That's what he said. I had not heard that one. That one's good. Oh, yeah, that's Freud. That's Freud. Wishful projection. Just, you know, shot in the dark, groping yeah. in, in the wild for, for something to hold on to. Well, this dude named uh, Paul Vitz wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless. And in it, he cites all kinds of, uh, all these names of atheists. You've got Freud himself. um, You've got Nietzsche, Hume, Russell, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Sartre, Hobbes, Voltaire, all these guys, right? And it, he went, and there's a number number more of them, right? But he went into the study and he found that these guys all had father wounds. Yeah. And a good number of them had fathers that died when they were very young children, right? So, and again, correlation is not equal to causation. That's a fallacy. You don't want to jump right on that. Otherwise, you can say, he found that all of them have root canals, so root canals lead to atheism, right? It's, you don't want right. to make that leap. But I do think there's something there. There per- is a common factor. Right. Particularly when uh, one goes so far as to make the claim that that religion is the result of a father wound. Right. And then Vitz and others have gone on to display a very effective defeater, or if not a defeater, then a counterpoint that actually indicates the opposite. It turns it completely upside down on his head. It says, actually, if, if you look at the data, each you know data point, each reference point, each datum, singular of data. Do you know that datum, it's a singular of data? 
Data is plural. Medium, media, datum, data. Okay, you just ruined my life. Okay, go ahead. All right. <laughs> Each datum. Each datum. Dad. Um, coincidence? No. I think not. <laughs> what? Datum. You are such a dork. I anyway. Know, I know. But what's really interesting is that Freud never presented any, like, um, actual research. No clinical trials. No, no, nothing evidential at all. It was just a hypothesis and right. unproven, right? But when, again, when you assemble the, the data points, right, it actually indicates quite the opposite. So what this does for me is it, it now, again, Kev, you know my story. Yes. Um, <clears throat> 2019 ish? Yes. I uh, hope I didn't sigh right into your microphone. That's it's okay. Awful, I'm but, heavy breathing in mine, so it's fine. Yeah. So 2019 or so, um, I, I've had wrestling matches. 2017 was a, was a big one. But 2019 was a really difficult time in that there was uh, w what one could cite as a, a deconstruction. I don't like the term deconstruction as much anymore because I think it's been hijacked. Right. Um, but there was definitely a... Uh, a, a point at which I, well, let's just say this. There were two, there were, obviously there's so many reasons. I don't want to go into all of it, but a lot of it, my faith was resting on a lot of man-made traditions, et cetera, et cetera. When those were shown to be false, you know, your faith falls because it's resting on those, right? Right. Um, but another one was the idea of God as father is, well, let's face it, um, especially in Christianity, you can maybe get away with saying Judaism is not essential to it, though I don't think that's very tenable either. But especially in Christianity, the idea of God as Father is an inescapable cornerstone right. to what it means to be a Christian, right? It's, it's paramount to it, really. Um, Christ our brother, God our Father, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so to have a relationship with God, and again, you know me on this, Kev, I, I, and maybe this is because of a father wound. I really shy away from some of the emotional attachments of Christianity. Number one, I've seen them abused. Number two, I, I, I'm very good at fooling myself and the thinking that every single shiver or tear is of the Holy Spirit, right? So I, I tend right. to err on the side of caution, and I say err significantly because right. I recognize that I'm probably making a mistake by rejecting a lot of that. But um, where I was going with all that, I'm having a hard time remembering. But um, the idea of God, our Father, the relationship. If we want a relationship with God, and I'm, and I'm not talking about throwing our hands in the air and singing, though that's fine. I'm not talking about having deep times. of That's all fine. But I'm just thinking in terms of like a static positional relationship with God, we're supposed to think of him as a father. And if we have a father wound, that baggage is going to inevitably, inexorably affect our view of God and our expectations of God. They're already, frankly, I'm just going to just... Frankly, our expectations of God are already susceptible to be in much need of improvement and amendment in the modern West. We expect a lot of things from God that, um, frankly, aren't promised in Scripture, and we don't expect things of God that are indicated in Scripture, I think, in, in the West particularly, um, because how we frame relationships, it's sometimes very foreign to how uh, relationships have always been framed uh, along the entire epic of human history. All that being said, I do think that if we have right father-son relationships in this world, that can only be good and can only serve as a positive artifact in our life as we, as we construct... Um, ideas about God and as we as we formulate how to approach God and as we um, construct expectations around how God thinks about us. I was just talking to a friend yesterday who conceded that they didn't even know if they were in or not in their words um, as a Christian right. you know and it's just that concern right and and I I use the illustration I said look God is a parent. And well, and I said, as a parent for myself, I command righteousness. I say, you need to do right. But at the same time, I remember that my children are children, just like God knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust, right? So right. a good parent is going, he's not going to compromise his own integrity by saying, you know, I expect you to do right 95% of the time. 
um, I don't even use the word expect. I don't even say God expects you to do this. God, expectations are, that's, that's, that's another. They ruin relationships. In fact, someone I know read a, wrote a really good book about expectations ruin relationships. Hmm. Well, the, and so that's the thing, right? And again, that's exactly what I mean by modern Western relationships. It was Mark. Was it Mark? It was Mark. Oh, cool. One of his first books. Oh, no, no kidding. Yeah, anyway. Mark go. Foster. Yes. Mark Foster, who has a podcast called This Poor Pastor's Podcast, available wherever fine podcasts are. Oh, I've, so, I've commercialed him. I, <laughs> I've commercialed no his podcast and him so often. Oh, yeah. He's phenomenal. I was just listening to his podcast on the way here. Yeah. yeah. I'm a few behind. Anyway, go ahead. Um, oh, I am too. Since he started doing them every day. Yeah. He's like, come on, Mark. Destroying my life. Mark, if you're listening, you need to stop that. <laughs> All right. No, don't stop that. <laughs> don't stop. Okay, but uh, yeah, no, expectations do ruin relationships, right? Right. So when I when I say children do right, I don't say, well, do right most of the time. No, do right all the time. If I love them, I'm going to want them to flourish, and I'm going to want them, yes, do right all the time. But that's, that's it's absolutely not, I'm not going to say, um, I'm not going to build this, this, this scaffolding of expectations of saying, oh man, if they don't do right every time, boy, I'm going to bring that. No, this is what training and discipleship and chastisement and purification is all about. And so if I, as a father, think of my children this way, um, that does give me, it. and again, this is not infallible because that we can't make God in our own image, right? right. But mm. I think there are some general objective tendencies of fathers, parents, to feel toward their children that are not inculcated by society, but are rather intrinsic to being a parent that I believe God designed in our framework, right? And so so thinking from a fatherly perspective can often help me. It can inform me as to how God thinks about us. And to wit, if I had had that coming from a father to me, I might have not had to wait until I was a father several years or a decade into being a father before I started to see it that way if that makes any sense well great example um back to mark you know he's been one of my basically my primary grief counselor yeah. you know with chris's death and um, i remember in which has instilled in me every now and then i have emotional breaks and i really i have waves of depression and sometimes it affects my relationship with the lord mm-hmm. and i remember one time we were just talking this was maybe a month ago and I was going through one of my emotional rough parts, you know, and I texted him. I said, dude, I just need to talk for a couple minutes. And he, and so we were talking, and um, one of the things he said, he said, what's wonderful about the Lord is is one thing we miss, especially for those that, and I had a great dad, um, but for those that don't understand, he said, God is, is your heavenly Father who's in the stands rooting for you. Hmm. And he said, he said, you're up at the base, you're up at the bat, and you strike out, he's still rooting for you. Yeah. You know, and then, hey, you'll get it next time, you know. That is awesome. And then when you swing and you hit, he's the one that's standing up screaming the loudest. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to be remembered that aspect of a father. Yeah. That not just the guy carrying the, the switch, you know, not just the guy who's telling you to go to bed early because you were naughty. Mm-hmm. But he's also the one in the grandstands cheering the loudest. Yeah, that's huge. And so I wanted to, and so I, that made me think of when you know when we mirror that with you know our, our humanly fathers, yeah. our earthly fathers. Um, humanly is that even a word? Anyway, our our biological fathers. You used it, so it's a word. hey, it's a word. It's English. Um, that we need to equate that also with our heavenly father. Yeah. That. Yes, he knows we blow it, and yes, he demands righteousness, yes, he, but he also is in the grandstands cheering yeah. and saying, dude, you'll get it next time. You know, but you think about that, like, that kind of, <clears throat> like, and again, I'm going to be very transparent here. I look back and I go, man, I wish I had that as a kid, right? And then I look forward and I say, I can be that for my kids. But you know what's interesting? Without that, frankly, positive reinforcement and cheering for you, what's, what's left in that vacuum that takes up all that extra space is me being hard on myself yeah. or on the other side, me being too easy on myself. Right. Cause when we're too easy on ourselves, our father says, that's actually one thing my stepdad did. I was having a pity party and he lovingly didn't yell or anything, but he got pretty close to my face and let me know, Hey kid, you don't have it hard. And he shared with me some realities that night. And I, I needed that when I wanted to skip a basketball game to go to a Valentine's banquet. I remember that story. Right. He said, suit up, you're going, and it was those things we needed that. But I want to go with Susie. <laughs> it was harmony. Get it right. No, but anyway, sorry. So, so, no, but uh, but there, so there's that, right? But right. in the vacuum, for me, for me, I 
I, I don't, frankly, often need someone to be hard on me. I do a pretty good job of that myself. Yes, yeah, you're, you're very myself. good at that. <laughs> hard on you, myself. You, um, you and Micah. It's, yeah, um, yeah. It's funny, your wife and I, we do share so many commonalities there. And I wonder if you've had a conversation with Micah about the, the father wound thing. I'm not, I'm not indicting her of that at all. I, I don't know about her relationship with her father. But, but I, do, I just wonder what different dynamics actually cause that. And in hers wasn't a dad. Her her dad is probably one of the most. Yeah, he's yeah. he's right I, up there with awesome. I I have I have met him and he is quite awesome. But um, but anyhow, um, so so there's a number of factors, right? That can oh lead yeah. To that. I was just and curious. On I just thought I'd throw that in there because yeah. the whole you yeah. know agnostic atheistic thing. Yeah. So I know we've gone long, and no, it's fine. I'm never, I'm never the one to do that, am I, Kevin? You are at church. Uh, yes. Okay, so yeah, so let's just go there for a minute. <laughs> oh, no. You know, you have a podcast that is literally 10 minutes, 10 minutes to the seconds. 10 minutes or less. Every dang 104 episodes, you're at 10 minutes. Yep. And then at church, yeah. when you're behind the pulpit. Yep. Okay, just second. No, um, <laughs> I said you don't. Is that a father wound? You, you missed because of the storm. You missed a, a sermon where I did go a little. I was like forty-five minutes. I really am trying to do thirty-minute sermons. Kev. I know. I, I, I just had to put that in there. My dad preached twenty minutes. Did you know that? Twenty minutes he preached. People loved him for it. Maybe maybe they're all carnal. Maybe that's why they loved him for it. Yeah, but, he but shuts he, up real quick. But he, but he preached twenty minutes, and uh, so, know. and I know I know your father wounds are. Not as drastic as probably many have been through. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but I wanted you to talk about, so if, let's just say someone did have a, just a really, you know, mild, moderate, or severe father wound, how do you get back on track? Or how do you, how do you find yourself not putting on the hat of victim? And I think one of Mark's episodes is coming up that I'm about to listen to that's like, you know, four days old. Um, about you know constantly putting on that victim mm. hat or that victim badge, um, and 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 probably my kids' generation is really good at wearing the victim hat, um, and so how do you not play the victim and grow beyond that? What's mm. some just some quick ideas off off the cuff? Well, I have one young man in my mind, and uh, he's about a decade younger. And well, no, about fifteen years younger. Ugh, I hate getting old. But um, his dad was just like Mark said in his recent podcast. I know we're just really puffing up his podcast. Oh, I do it all the time. It's fine. Mission. Um, he said he was talking about grief. He was talking yeah. about how how he knows grief, and he and he he caricatured a straw man saying, "Well, Mark, what kind of grief have you experienced in your life?" And he said. I've experienced more than some and less than some, but that's really yep. not the point. Right. And uh, so with regards to a father wound, like you say, I've experienced a father wound more than some and less than some. Um, I, one, I think I could rightly say more than most, but certainly uh, less than some of the ones I'm thinking of, including right. this man who I have in my mind right now, a young man, a wonderful man, who was berated, insulted, beaten by his dad, and it has made him possibly the most insecure young man I know. Who is constantly striving for approval, constantly worried, and um, I wish so much, Kev, that I could just. I know this sounds so extremely odd and outlandish for our modern Western cultures, but and this guy's a big old boy. I would just love to just give him a big hug and just hold on to him for a while and just say, "Look, I'm not your dad, but I'm a brother of a big brother, and I, and I love you. And um, your dad let you down. He let you down hard." And he never told you how absolutely incredible you are um, on a level that's not when you bring home the macaroni art from school. Oh, great job on a deeper level when you can yep. reach into their soul and say you are an incredible, incredible. I tell my kids that all the time. And I mean, I mean it every single time. They know I mean it every single time. Now that they're a little older, I text them and I say, you are phenomenal. You are incredible. And I tell them all the things I love about them all the time. And I wish this kid had gotten that because if he did, he would be a different man. And now, how how do we get him and others in, onto a track, into a place? Um, well, let me give you an example, sure. and, and then you can maybe take it from here. Sure, sure. My dad um, grew up extremely poor, farming community, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really, really poor. His dad was extremely disconnected, thought the only use for my grandmother was to make more babies. Never connected with any of the nine kids. Just mm -hmm. my dad was the youngest. 
And then I remember, I think I was six years old, five years old when my grandfather died, my, my paternal grandfather. Sure. And I remember my dad saying, he said, my dad never told me he loved me, mm. ever. Mm. Just, you know, yeah. not a good, never, wouldn't care for the kids, didn't provide a home, didn't, pro many times didn't provide food. Mm -hmm. You know, they always lived in horrible, you know, conditions, poor conditions. Yeah. And my father, we have never been allowed to leave his presence without him saying, I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and because he said, I'm not going to repeat the mistakes of my dad. Yeah. I am not going to be the, you know, never abusive, mm -hmm. but completely dismissive and completely negligent in his, in his fatherly duties. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I see a lot of struggles as, as fathers with my uncles, mm -hmm. you know, and, but one thing I always saw in my dad is he said, I am not going to be my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said, I am, we are not allowed to leave his presence without saying, I love you. Yeah. Um, and if we're leaving for a long period of time, there's always a hug. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and how do we, how do we balance that? Yeah. Know, how do we go from there? I think, and, the, and again, I, well, I think maybe Jesus is 12 disciples out of all of those guys. Somebody had to have a father wound, right? Right. And they followed him. And then you have John leaning his head on Jesus' breast. You had James and John, the Boanerges, the Sons of Thunder, um, eagerly anticipating places by Jesus' side. He was a brother to them, but he also was a father figure, a rabbi, right, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, and I think of how Jesus would want somebody like this young man that I have in mind or anybody else who has a deep father wound who might be caught in insecurity or, as you mentioned earlier, that, that victimhood that seems to go hand in hand yeah. with the father wound. Um, I would say this, drawing from my own experience as a skeptic, somebody who is far too skeptical, unfortunately, at times. Um, you? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> just, just extremely skeptical to my own harm. I find it very difficult to accept things by faith, even things for which I think there are good evidence for. If they seem outlandish, I won't, I, well, it's not that I won't accept them, but it, I really wrestle with it. So I, I was a moon landing denier for a long time, not by any, not for any particular reason, anything other than that seemed vastly improbable that we could do it in 69 and we can't do it in 19, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And right. maybe some of your listeners deny the moon landing and I understand there's all kinds of reasons for it. But my reason wasn't anything other than more of an emotional objection. So as to say, there's no way that could have happened, right? It didn't happen, you know? And then interestingly enough, Kev, uh, I found there were 12 people who walked on the moon and all 12 of them have gone to their death bearing witness that they went to the moon. And I think one of these 12 would have uh, cracked. 12 apostles. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. just kind of interesting, that parallel. So my, my, my skepticism is often overcome not by me being, I don't know, pulling myself up and saying, now you need to believe this, but by, by separating myself from the emotions that say this cannot be so, and forcing myself to come to logical, fact-based conclusions. And so when I struggle with one of the inevitable results of my father wound, it is often in the form of me lying to myself, feeling insecure, feeling not as bold, maybe some cowardice, um, or maybe some, some uh, tendencies or, or uh, learned behaviors from a father wound. And I, I match those up with what is reality, right? So for this young man who really struggles with insecurity, I want to be able to say, for any young man, I'm just using this young man as a straw man, right? I want to be able to say, what you're feeling is real. It is real. And it is, it is, I want to be careful not to talk about like your reality versus, it is your reality. It's the place that you live in your mind. That is real. That's a scar. It's a wound. It needs to yeah. heal. But... Um, but I also want to invite that person to enter into the, the true reality in which while those deficiencies may exist because of a father wound, not all fathers are like that. Yeah. And we don't have to be trapped to be fathers like that. Um, we, so I would say to the young person or whoever, however young or old that person might be who's struggling with the father wound, I would invite them to remind themselves constantly as many times as needed, you are not broken. You have been dealt a rough hand. Life is filled with rough hands being yeah. dealt to people. 
I, I have never been or as much. I think I have it good. I live in America. I have a wife and four children. We, we have it good, right? right? But anybody can sit around for 10 minutes and think about the, the hands they've been dealt that are pretty rough, right? I could sit around, Kev, and wallow and say, well, I had this father figure, let me down, this father figure, let me down, this father figure. But at some point, uh, and again, this isn't about pulling myself off, uh, by one's bootstrap, but at some point, one has to look at the facts and say, okay, that's what happened then. Here's where I'm at now. And it may be a more difficult journey for me because of these wounds, um, it's easier for someone to walk when they don't have a big gash in their foot, right? Right. But the walking still has to be done. The living still has to be done. And at some point, we've got to say that was then, that did happen. But to be able to analyze and be honest with oneself, here's my little three-step program, be honest with yourself about what happened, right? Reckon with those things and understand that they may have affected you and then identify how it affected you, right? So you've got to realize it is true, reckon with those things, let, let it hit you, take yeah. as much time as you need to let that sink in. I have a father wound, right? And then identify them, right? So, so you know, to, 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 to think about, okay, what, what, how is this going to impair my journey in life? How is this affecting me? It's funny because at work, there's a, a, a man who's only two and a half years my senior, well, my oldest brother, Tim, who passed away, was two and a half years my senior. So when my dad died, my pop-up died, my oldest brother was kind of like a father figure. I would have done anything for his approval. In fact, even when I was young, I would have done anything for his right. approval. He was like a mini father figure the whole time. Well, now I work with this guy. I work for this guy. And um, I actually joke around with him openly about how I'm like, hey, Matt. I mean, Dad. I mean, Matt. And we laugh, you know, because I really look up to him. And But there are times when I have to say to myself, he, he's not your big brother. He's not your dad. Um, you are not, you are not, well, and there's a dynamic there because he's my boss at work, right? But, but it's, it's, it doesn't have to be that kind of relationship where I'm always yearning for someone's approval or doing something. It's not, it doesn't have to be that. So I find that people with father wounds, we tend to really crave approval. Yeah. And we often don't have any, um, any sense of self-worth or self-esteem because, we didn't get that from the father, and so we don't have a lot of that of ourselves. And so we're constantly looking to others for approval. So that comes with identifying. Identify. Is that an issue, right? And, and well, then step four is overcome. No, that's not fair. You can't just say, well, then overcome it. It's like when people say, the answer is Jesus. What does that mean, the answer is Jesus, <laughs> right? That's like a Sunday school answer. Great, Jesus. What did you learn about today in church? Jesus. All right, you get a piece of candy. Anyways, I'm going long. My point is I would say realize that you do reckon with it let it sink in and then identify how it's affecting you and then honestly once you've identified it just like gi joe says knowing is half the battle right say okay this might very well happen and it's nothing to be ashamed of in fact i would much rather it's, remember when there were stigmas about everything if you had depression you couldn't talk about it it was ugh. right what if we actually were just like hey you know what my dad was he was a great man in many ways but you know, I do have some father wounds, and that does affect the way I live and how I interact with some people now and how I take criticism or how I am a coward in something when I should be bold or how I treat my own children. Identify it. Like, be honest, but be, be open about it with the people that are closest to you. And then from there, only from there, can you begin to say, from a place of awareness, can you begin to say, all right, what do I have to do to navigate around some of these obstacles that are in my way? Because if you can't see them, you can't navigate around. You're kind of crashing them over and over again. Right. I don't know. I guess if off the cuff, I guess that's that would be my my advice and my counsel, whatever you want to put it. But just remember, God is a father to the fatherless. And in Scripture, James one twenty seven, what's true religion? Be a father to the fatherless. That's a huge thing. Almost as if God knew <laughs> that that would be a major um, impact area that would influence how we see God the Father and how we treat each other. I mean, isn't that one of the greatest things is to take care of the widows and the orphans? That's James 127, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Isn't that kind of what Jesus constantly was preaching at about, too? Yeah. Well, yeah. you actually pointed out Wednesday night in Bible study. Who will abide in the holy hill? Who will abide in your tabernacle? Psalm 15. And then the rest of the entire psalm is how we treat each other. Yeah. You would expect it to be like, all right, do this for God, do this for God, do this for God. It's all treat each other this way. And that ooh, that was really cool that you mentioned. I actually shared that with somebody on the phone yesterday that you pointed that out. And I mentioned you by name. I gave you credit. Nice. <laughs> but Kudos to Kevin. Interesting how that we focus. And I'm not. Well, this is this. Is, I'm not trying to go off topic, especially if we're trying to wrap up. But we focus a lot on the horizontal. And I'm not saying that's bad. 
But notice how much it's really the vertical that is the heart of how God views it. And so father wounds, that has everything to do with that that right. horizontal, you know. Anyways, there's that. That's cool. This has been fun. I hope I hope I said something that might have helped somebody. Oh, right? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, appreciate you. Love you. I love you too. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. I hope this was a help and a blessing to you. It was something that's been in my heart and if you've been through a parental wound or you have struggles or you have deep wounds that you're really having a hard time getting over, getting through, please reach out to me and I would love to try and help you. And if I can't, I have quite a few people that I would love to, um, I can help send you to and you could talk to, reach out to. I know if you're a lady, my wife would love to chat with you, but whatever the need, please, please reach out to us and we just want to be a friend. We want to be a help. We want to be a place, a resource. To If we can't help you, then we'll help you find someone that can. But I know the Lord can, and I know that He can heal, and I know that He can help. And so first of all and foremost, we'd love to point you in that direction. So reach out here to help ministry at Gmail, or reach out through uh, Facebook Messenger on our helps page. And we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we need to pray for you. Please just throw us a message love to hear what we can do for you or pray for you Um, we're here for you and I know what hurts are I know what pain is and I know what struggles are so please don't hesitate um, to ask for help I think that's one of the hardest things we can do is no one realize that we can be helped we can heal and that there are some people out there that could actually be helped us love to hear from you and we'll talk to you next time I love you bye-bye